following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. It's just delightful to see you here this morning, and I just love the fact that we're able to celebrate Jesus on Easter Sunday. You might not have heard of this man. His name was Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin. And uh, during his day, he was probably one of the most powerful men on the planet. During 1917, he was involved in the Bolshevik Revolution. He was the editor-in-chief of uh, Pravda, the Soviet newspaper of its day. And he was right up there in the Politburo as one of the leading communists of his day. The year was 1930, and uh, he was under instruction to go from Moscow to Kiev, to declare to people that God was dead and that atheism had taken over. And so he had gathered thousands of people in this huge auditorium, and for one hour he propagated his atheistic philosophy. For one hour he told people how ridiculous the thought of Christianity was and, and how Christianity was dead. And now that we live in an era of, of, of uh, revelation that uh, anyone that believed in Christianity was a fool and, uh, and, uh, and basically without common sense. And so after he rallied for an hour, after he felt that the faith of men and women just laid in a pile of ashes on the floor, he opened it up to the crowd and he said, are there any questions? And the whole place went silent for about two minutes. And all of a sudden, an old man gets up from his seat and he walks across the marble floor and you can hear his footsteps walking along the marble floor and he climbs up onto the podium, and he stands next to this atheist, and he says in the ancient Slavic tongue, Christ is risen! And 2,000 people stand to their feet and one voice say, He is risen indeed! Come on, church! I'm going to say it in English, and then you're going to stand to your feet, and you're going to say he's risen indeed. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Christ is risen. Oh, let's say it one more. Yeah, come on. Let's give him one hand of praise. He is risen indeed. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You may be seated. As I said... Uh, on Good Friday, I feel this incredible privilege. See, you've got to understand that, that privilege and responsibility go hand in hand. And um, if, you're, if you receive privilege, then you have responsibility. And that's, that's what makes you a person of honor. Too many people have privilege without understanding responsibility. And for me, I, I have this dual privilege and responsibility of being a custodian of the gospel. It's been passed down to me. My grandfather, 
got saved, I think, in 1939. And he passed the message on to my parents. My parents, and it's wonderful to have my mum here this morning on the front row. Stand up, mum. Let everybody see my mum. Does anybody think I look like my mum? Say, say it in Italian, mum. There you go. Buona Pasqua. Happy Easter. And so the gospel was passed. I was brought up in a Christian home and uh, always knew the gospel. Same with my wife as well. We've always known the gospel, grown up in it and impacted by it. And uh, the joy of it is this, is that I feel very strongly now the responsibility of passing it on. And so at Easter time, I feel like I'm a custodian of the message. And so you've come here today, and I can preach no other message to you but the message of the resurrection of Christ today. And I hope that you haven't come here to hear some other message because you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because as a custodian, what you're going to hear on Good Friday is the message of the cross. What you're going to hear on Resurrection Sunday is that he is not dead, but he is alive. What you're going to hear at Christmas time is that God sent his son into the world, born of a virgin in a manger to be the savior of the world. And so I want to read to you this morning the resurrection story out of Luke. And this is what it says. So I'm just going to, I, the reading is fairly long, but I, I want you just to stay focused. Turn to the person next to you and say, stay focused. Okay. Luke chapter 24, this is what it says. And we'll read the first nine verses and then we'll go to verse 13. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Did anybody wake up very early in the morning this morning? I woke up very, it was still dark when I woke up because I just wanted to be just so aware of what was going on. And, uh, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, the angels said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now verse 13. Now behold, two of them. This is two of Jesus' disciples, not the apostles, but Jesus had many other disciples beside the apostles. And so two of these disciples were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained 
so they did not know him. So there's a bit of a mystery for us is that the resurrected Jesus wasn't immediately recognizable. So his resurrected body was somewhat different to his previous body. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, He was alive. Verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was going a bit further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. I want to focus this morning on not just the open tomb, but the open eyes. I want to say to you today that it's one thing having information. It's another thing having revelation. And right across this world today, there are lots of people that have information. But then there are those that have revelation. What do you have today? Do you have information or revelation Because the difference is, when you have revelation, your eyes are opened. So here's the question that I have for you. How do you see Jesus? Because these disciples, Cleopas and his friend, had a distinct vision of Jesus. So they, and, and, and they articulated this. They saw him as a prophet from God. They, they realized, wow. No one speaks like this man, the words from God, and they saw him as a prophet. But there were other prophets, John the Baptist being a prophet, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, lots of prophets had come and gone. They also saw him as a miracle worker. Haven't you heard of this man who is mighty indeed? He does amazing miracles. They saw him as a prophet, a miracle worker. They saw him as an awesome preacher. Wow, listen to the words that come out of his mouth. Who can deny that the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is one of the greatest messages, if not the greatest message that was ever preached on the face of the earth? But then they had this really funny view of Jesus that was somehow tied in to their Old Testament theology. They saw him as the Redeemer of Israel. Now, what's interesting about that phrase is that we can interpret it regarding our own worldview. 
But their worldview was that the Redeemer of Israel would come to save them from the tyranny of oppressors. And in those days, they were being oppressed by Rome. And they were subjugated by Rome and having to pay taxes. And they felt that the Messiah who would come would deliver them from Rome. And and the question, even after the resurrection, asked even by the disciples and the apostles is, is it, is it going to happen now? Is, it, is, is this the time now that you can deliver us from Rome? And, and, and Jesus was saying, no, you got this whole thing wrong. Your redemption is not about the redemption of an earthly tyranny, but the redemption of a spiritual tyranny. The biggest tyranny that happens is the tyranny of Satan that comes to oppress. This earthly tyranny comes and goes, but satanic Tyranny keeps people bound for eternity. And Jesus came to redeem them from that tyranny. That's not what they understood. So that was their view of Jesus until their eyes were opened. And once their eyes were opened, they started to fully understand who Jesus was. Now, what's interesting today is how the Western world sees Jesus. So maybe you're here today. And my question to you is, how do you see Jesus? How do you view Jesus? How do your friends view Jesus? The people that you work with, the people that you go to university with, the people you go to school with, the people that you interact with on a daily basis, how do they see Jesus? I think most people see him as a real historical figure. There's certainly more proof that Jesus existed than Napoleon existed. Uh, We have more evidence backing the existence of Jesus historically than uh, in, in any other historical figure. I don't think anyone can doubt the reality that Jesus existed. But then what's our interpretation? I don't think anyone can doubt that Jesus was a good man. Can anybody doubt that Jesus was a good man? I think even if, if you speak to the, to the greatest skeptic, they would say, well, Jesus was a good man and he was a good teacher. He did good things. He treated people well and he spoke good things. What's interesting is that a few years ago, we had a a Christian uh, leader, a philosopher, whose name was C.S. Lewis. And the C.S. Lewis argument for me is a very powerful argument that debunks this whole thing that Jesus was just a good teacher and a good person. C.S. Lewis says, The only options that you have in describing Jesus is this. He was either a liar or he was a lunatic or he was Lord. See, he either said lies about himself because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. So in saying that, he was either telling the truth or he was telling a lie. You say, well, well, hang on here. Good people don't tell lies. Well, if that's the case, there's only two options open to you. Well, what are the two options? Well, the other two options is that he was a lunatic. He was a crazy man. He actually believed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And he believed it because he was a loony tune. He was a crazy, a crazy man. And you say, well, I don't think Jesus was crazy. 
Well, if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, the only other option that you have available to you is that he's Lord, that he actually was the Son of God, that he actually was the way, the truth, and the life, that everything that he said about himself and God and eternity was true. And if that's the case, there is only one option left for you, and that is for you to bow your knee and confess him as your Lord and Savior. But there is no option to say that he was a good man and a good teacher. Now, we've seen how those disciples saw Jesus. We see how the Western world sees Jesus. But let me just put something forward to you this morning is this. How does Jesus want you to see him? How does he want to be seen by you? Well, I love this verse in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, because this is a revelation of Jesus in all of his power and in all of his glory. How he wants us to see him. It says this, I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I have the keys of Hades and of death, and I am He who will return. Come on, church. Are you excited about the resurrected Lord? Are you excited about the one who has the keys of death and of Hades? See, once your eyes are opened, you just don't see him as a prophet or a teacher or a good person. You see him on a whole different plane. You see him as the one who is clothed in white, the one who on his head has a crown, the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire, the one who out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. We see him as one whose robe has been dipped in blood and on his side is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see him as the one who's the altogether lovely one, the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, the altogether beautiful one, the King, the Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, everlasting Father, wonderful God, eternal God, the Prince of Peace is He. I'm telling you, He just can't be relegated to good teacher when He is the Lord of Lords. That's how He wants you to see Him. That's how He wants to be seen. And when your eyes have been opened and when your heart has melted, then you won't just see him as an historical figure. You won't just see him as a good philosopher. You will see him as mighty God who rules and reigns forever and ever. When, when you get that revelation, and until your eyes are opened, you don't get that revelation. It's just information. Then it's going to produce something within you. And what does it produce? It produces obedience. It produces worship. It produces honor. And so today, we, we don't worship because our worship leader is just winding us up. Come on, church. It's time to worship. Come on, church, a bit louder now. Come on. And I, 
We've been wound up, see? See, you've got to wind up people that have information, not revelation. But when people have revelation, they come into his presence with thanksgiving in their hearts. They come into their, his presence ready to worship. They come into his presence because they have a revelation that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive and he rules and reigns forever and ever. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, glory to God. I want to talk to you this morning about the significance of the resurrection for the believer. If you were here on Good Friday, how many of you were here on Good Friday? I'm going to talk to you about the difference between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Because the title of my message on Friday, Good Friday, was Beautiful Exchange title of this message on Resurrection Sunday is Beautiful Destiny. What I want to do, I want to tie these two messages together. I want to tie the message of Good Friday to the message of Resurrection Sunday and just help you understand the difference between the two. You say, what's the difference? Well, see, Good Friday focuses on what happened in the Garden of Eden, whereas Resurrection Sunday focuses on what's going to happen in the kingdom of God. And so they're, they're, they're two entirely different focuses. They're all connected, but it starts here. But as we shared on Good Friday, it started here in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world and guilt and shame and condemnation entered into the world. And so we come to the cross and we deal with that. And it's dealt with at the cross. But you know what? God doesn't want us to camp there in guilt and shame. He wants us now to move forward to what the next stage of development is. And that's now we're moving towards the kingdom of God and to bring in the kingdom of God to this world because we are now citizens, not of sin, but of the kingdom of God. There's a whole new revelation that comes where we start moving forward, where we understand because of the beautiful exchange, we now have a beautiful destiny. And so we don't have to always look back. We've got to start looking forward. Praise God for what he did at the cross. Praise God that our past has been dealt with. But you know what? God does not want us to keep being focused on the past. God does not want us to live with our attention just on what went on in the past. He wants us to start looking forward to the plan and purpose and destiny that God has got for our life. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. See, Good Friday was about creating a sin consciousness. But Resurrection Sunday is about creating a consciousness of purpose. And I tell you what, God doesn't want us to live in sin consciousness all the time. See, what you do is that you go to the cross, and at the foot of the cross, that's why you lay your sin down. And if you've got sin, you've got to get back to the cross. and lay. The, and, but once your sin has been removed, what do you do then? Well, then you say, God, show me my purpose. Show me what I was born to do. Show me what the whole future of my life is all about. And what God does, he takes you and gives you a future and a vision. Now, I want to tell you this, that, that if the enemy can't get you to, to you know, to, if the enemy can't basically stand between you and your salvation, He'll just keep you looking backwards all the time. 
He'll just keep you feeling condemned and guilty all the time. And so if he can't stop you doing salvation, then he'll stop. He'll, he'll cause your attention to look back, always back, back, back. What a miserable worm I am. I remember when I was a kid growing up, that was the confession on everyone's lips. What a miserable worm I am. I'm a miserable sinner. I'm unworthy. Woe is me. How terrible I am. My my friends, that needs to be the attitude leading to the cross. But once you get to the cross, he's cleansed you. He's purified you. He's separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Stop confessing what you were and start confessing what God wants you to be. Start looking forward to the purpose of God in your life because Resurrection Sunday is about you resurrected into new life in Christ and all that that means. Good Friday is about Satan being defeated. When Jesus died upon the cross, Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that he disarmed principalities and powers, having made a public spectacle of them. I'm telling you, the enemy has been defeated. Does anybody believe that? Come on, stamp your feet a little bit, wherever you're seated, and say, the enemy is under my feet. The enemy's been defeated. I know that we got carpet, so it's hard to make a lot of noise. But the fact is that in, in, in the spiritual realm, there's a lot of noise being made because death has been defeated. But Resurrection Sunday takes you from death being defeated to eternal life being assured. And so, so it just changes the focus from death to life. See, see, Good Friday is about condemnation being defeated. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. That's what the cross is all about, is dealing with your condemnation. Well, what is Resurrection Sunday all about? It's assuring of your sonship in Christ. That in Christ now, we are joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. Children of God. Stop living in the realm of condemnation and start living in the realm of sonship and dignity, and beginning to say, as a child of God, who is subjected to the will of God, what do you want me to do, Lord, with my life? What is it that you want me to do? Not my will, but your will be done. Do you know, let me tell you something. Too many people, this happens to a lot of people, God gives them a vision of the will of God for their lives, and they chicken out. Why do they chicken out? Because fear grips their heart. They chicken out. And that's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that first. Not seek ye first the things of this world and all the benefits. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God, God will make sure that all these things will be added to you. But you can't pursue the will of God until you start pursuing the kingdom of God and looking to what he's accomplished and looking to the future glory that he has for you and pursuing that with all of your life. And that's what the the, the resurrection, it's all about. God made something that seemed impossible come to pass. 
And if he can do that, he can do it for you. Come on, whatever God is saying to you, don't back down. Don't let fear steal the seed that God has planted in your heart. Begin to say, God, if you are asking for me to do this, then that means you're going to empower me to do it because I'm your child living in your kingdom with the seal of promise upon my life and I'm moving forward, not going backwards. I don't want to live in this space all the time. Thank you for the cross. I'm going to live in this space, understanding what the God purpose is and by faith pursuing it with all of my heart. Let me tell you the third thing, difference between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Good Friday is about the death of our old nature. But Resurrection Sunday is about the birth of our new nature. I just love that. Come on, let there be a cutoff point. Let there be a line in the sand where we say, that's my old nature. This is my new nature. My old nature that pursued the things of this world. My old nature that pursued sin. My old nature that just loved to hang out with the boys and drink and party. My old nature that went out with the chicky babes and just, what is that? What is that? Oh, yeah, that's fun, yeah. Hangovers and being picked up and dropped and having your heart broken and wasting money on booze and drugs and just things that disappear. So, oh, well, I'm not into booze and drugs yet, but you're into materialism, and that disappears just as quickly. That's old nature stuff, and it's all focused on the things of this world. Come on, cross over the line and begin to see the new world, God's world. Begin to see that I'm destined to live with Him forever and ever. I'm a child of God with godly destiny upon my life. It's the things of God that I love. It's the eternal things that I love. God, I want to pursue you and the things of heaven, not the things of this world. Your life gets changed. Old nature, new nature. Old man, new name. This is the beautiful thing is that, is that, is that we need to reckon ourselves dead on the cross so that we can live Christ. It's no longer I who live, says the Apostle Paul, but Christ that lives in me. And this life that I live, I live through the power of the Son of God. Come on, are you living a powerful life or are you living a puny life? Because the resurrection enables us to live a powerful life. Romans 8.11 says, But if the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who quickened your mortal body will give life to your mortal bodies. Come on. Come on. Live a new life. It's a Spirit-filled life. It's a life of power. It's a life that comes your way through the resurrection of Christ. I will rise to a new level of living. I will rise to a new level of revelation. I'm going to ask God to open my eyes that I can see what the resurrection means for me. I want God to open my eyes so that I don't live in smallness of thinking, but I live in revelation of God's purpose for my life. Many years ago, Anne and I made that decision. We decided we'd only be married four weeks and we decided you know whatever god wants we're going to pursue whatever god wants we're going to pursue and so we were 21 year old kids just freshly married and no source of income coming in matter of fact 
When I got married, I didn't have any money at all. The only money that we had was, was wedding money that came our way. So we started life with $3,000, which was the wedding money. Absolutely, we just fresh out of Bible college. Just nothing of material things, but everything in God. And 32 years later, he's never let us down. Not once. Never let us down. Not once. Why is that? Because every time we were tempted to look back, we said, what does this world have to offer? What does this world have to offer? We thought, how can we deny him who gave his all for us? How can we deny the call of God upon our lives? How can we deny the hand of God upon our lives? And if we have to spend all of our lives and all of our resources just to lead one person to Christ, it's worth it. It's worth it just for one. Yeah, because if I was the only one that was hung out to dry on this planet, Jesus would have come for me. Come on, the resurrection is about you letting go. It's about you letting go of the things that would tie you down and you hanging on to the one who rose from the dead, the one who came from heaven, who paid the price to set you free. But with that privilege now comes responsibility. What are you going to do? You're going to sit there and watch or you're going to dive in and say, Jesus, I'm going to be involved in life. I'm going to be involved in real life. I'm going to be involved in the life that involves changing the destiny of men and women whose eyes are blinded, who need to have a messenger come to them. Whom will I send? Who will go on my behalf? The Lord cries out. And the prophet, who wasn't even a prophet back then, put up his hand and he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. And with the sending came the empowering. With the empowering came the provision. There was nothing that he ever lacked. There is nothing that you will ever lack if you follow after him in full obedience. And my friends this morning, that is what the resurrection means to the believer. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to finish this morning with a very, very simple gospel message that's all connected to the resurrection. Simple gospel message is taken from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. That simply says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek, to look for, to search for. And to find that which was lost. What an incredible thrill this is. That he sought me. He came searching for me. He came searching for you. And he found me. He found you. Can I just say to you that you're not here by coincidence today. You are here. Because God sought you. You could have made a million excuses as to why you shouldn't be here today. But you know what? All those excuses, they just melted away. And you're here today by divine appointment. So that God could speak to you. 
and say to you, I sought for you. Amongst all the peoples of the world, I went looking for you. And I brought you into this place so that you could know that I fought a battle for you. I fought the enemy for you. Why? Because of your sin, he imprisoned you. He put you into his prison. Oh, he made it pretty for you at times, but at other times you felt the loneliness of the prison cell. You felt the isolation of the prison cell because sin imprisons people. But let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus came and Jesus defeated the jailer whose name is Satan. Jesus stomped on him. Jesus put him under his feet. And not only that, but Jesus took the keys. The keys that were able to lock you in your cell. Jesus took the keys of death and of Hades. And Jesus unlocked your prison door. He unlocked your prison house. And now he speaks to you and say and says to you, don't stay locked in your prison house. Don't believe the lies of the devil that you cannot be saved. Don't believe the lies of the devil that says you've committed the unpardonable sin. I want to tell you that if you're in this place today, you've been drawn here by Almighty God. You've been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus could say to you, the devil has been defeated. The prison doors have been opened and the word of the Lord is now coming to you. Come out of your sin and into everlasting life. Jesus. Three words sum up Good Friday. Here it is. The three words that sum up Good Friday. It is finished. Three words sum up Resurrection Sunday. Here it is. Come on home. Come on home. Come on home. The Father is calling. Come on home. You have been lost. Come on home. It's the cry of the Lord's heart to you. Come on home. The way has been paved. The price has been paved. Come on home into Father's arms. There is no longer a separation. There is no longer a chasm. The cross has bridged the gap. And now, Father, arms are open saying, come on home. Let me remove the filth of this world, the sin of this world, and place the robe of righteousness around you. You've lived life below the line. Now live it above the line. Come on home is the resurrection story. The way has been opened. Come on home. Come out of your prison and into eternal life, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 